Well, we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with T.J. Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. We going biblical exposition with this one, man. This is you know it's funny we were talking about when we when we put together this podcast. Started with the root or kind of the focus on systematic theology. It's kind of been the driving force in the organization, but we also want to do biblical exposition. That's the only way that you can do good systematic theology. You have to um, do exegesis. You have to pull the text, uh, the truth of the text out. And so it's it's interesting. Like we've started to do this, and these have become some of my favorite episodes. Like yeah. they're so fun to record because. Literally, when we've done these, we don't put together episode guides. We don't put together any notes. Whereas for the systematic ones, we, we do a little bit more groundwork to make sure that we can adequately cover. But for man, for these, we just open up the Word of God and we walk through it. And yeah. it's really cool to let the man, Word dictate that. Yeah, what's been cool uh, is the fact that um, these episodes are like gaining traction yeah. with like downloads and... Uh, streams and and views on on youtube um which is comforting and encouraging um that people want to hear just a portion or a text of scripture exposited just explained Mm -hmm. right yeah so hopefully don't drop the ball here (laughs) but we've done we've done help me remember this we've done acts 17 right we kind of walked through a whole chapter of acts and then we've we've focused on Philippians 4.13, but in order to do that, we had to contextualize the whole book. We went to Acts, walked through Acts 16. We walked through the book of Philippians all to get to that one verse, right. kind of as an outflow of, of hermeneutics. But um, this particular episode, we want to talk about Luke chapter 15. Oh, man, we've it, got, we, we have to. It's such an important chapter. It's such an important book, and it's such a familiar set of text, and... Um, let's let's just jump in. Let's talk about uh, what 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 is Luke fifteen, by the way. Uh, did, I'm so hyped. You've ta- I've, I've got to at least express. <laughs> yeah, you've taught the book of Luke recently. Is that right? Um, fill me in on your yeah, background of teaching this. Um, out, out at church, the last year or so, we've been uh, working our way through Luke in the high school service, um, and then last year, uh. At school, uh, I taught a Writings of Luke course where we just went through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, there were about 20 seniors uh, that signed up for that class, a few underclassmen as well. But anyways, it was just kind of an informal Bible study of the Gospel of Luke. So I feel like I've spent a little time yeah. in Luke. Um, and, and Luke 15 is close and dear to my own heart. Um, I think it may be my favorite chapter in the Gospel of Luke, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like, when we decided to do this episode, I was just getting fired up. Yeah, like I borderline say, weeping. Yeah, maybe I want to <laughs> say it was your idea. Um, maybe I did propose it. I don't know. Either way, I was all on board. I think it's great. Um, I'm really excited about it because this text, as hopefully we'll try to explain, this text has been misunderstood. It's been misapplied. It's been misconstrued. And in my own life, I've heard this text preached um, 
Again, probably with the best of intentions, but I've heard this text preached incorrectly so many yeah. times. Yeah, well, you you preached actually on the Good Samaritan, mm-hmm. which is also in the Gospel of Luke. Only in the Gospel of Luke. Yeah. yeah. Um, when, when did you preach on that? When was that? Was that uh, last fall? Man, it's been a while. I want, I want to say it was the spring. What? No. Uh, yeah, well, maybe no, it was no, the fall. No, no. It's been a while. You're getting so old, man. I know you're almost 30. <laughs> you shouldn't be losing your memory that quick. Well, I think it was back in the fall. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But but that parable has been hijacked. Yeah. And I would say Luke chapter 15, specifically the prodigal son, uh, has been hijacked as well, where the entire emphasis and focus of the chapter is on the prodigal. Um, now, major character in the story, right? but not the focus, not the primary purpose behind the story. And I, I think we'll see that as yeah. we kind of unfold here. Yeah. So, okay, so, so you're going to break up... Luke 15 into four sections. Yeah, right? yeah. So I'm because you are the Luke, the Lucan scholar in the group, Stop. and I'm excited to let you kind of handle this. What I'm going to do is just going to navigate, try to ask some questions, and and kind of structure this for us. So if I'm looking at Luke 15, just to kind of give us a broad, quick overview before we walk verse by verse through the passage, uh, Luke chapter 15. This is unique to the, to the Gospel of Luke, right? We don't see this this narrative, these parables in the other Gospels. So this is a, a unique passage. And Luke has organized this into four sections. Uh, verses 1 and 2, this is uh, the addressing. This is Luke's kind of narration, setting up the scene. Uh, verses 3 to 7, there's a parable. Um, verses 8 to 10, there's a parable. And then verses 11 to 32, there's a parable. Now, I want to make this comment, and feel free to jump in anytime. This whole chapter is one unit, yeah. right? Is that, is that accurate? No, that's absolutely correct. You okay. can see that in chapter 15, verse 1, then all the tax collectors and sinners, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to chapter 16, verse 1, it shifts to Jesus talking to his disciples. So right. the point of Luke 15 isn't for the disciples to hear this message, although they are. Mm-hmm. The point is for the tax collectors, the sinners, uh, and the Pharisees yeah. mainly right. to, to hear. Right. So so let's, let's use that as our segue. Verses 1 to 2, the tax collectors, the sinners, they're all coming around to hear Jesus preach. This is not popular amongst the religious leaders, right? Like the tax collectors, the sinners, bad reputation amongst the Jewish leaders. Not, uh, they were kind of the, how would you describe them in the Jewish society? The Pharisees or the tax? No, the tax collectors and, and oh, these sinners. Like oh, they, they were the worst of the worst. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the tax collectors were hated. Right. A majority of them were Jews, right, that were working for the Romans. Yeah. So they were traitors, man. There it is. They, they, they were traitors. Right. Uh, if but, you were a tax collector, you basically were kicked out of the family or disowned the family. You were rejected by your friends. You were rejected by your town. You, you were useless in that family because you were a traitor. You were working with the Romans. Yeah, and, and you were robbing your yeah. people, right? Like, like, And then you're taking money. Right, exactly. You're stealing money from your own people because you've turned your back on them and you're working for the Roman uh, government. So not popular, not good people. Yeah, I think yeah, I think William Hendrickson in his commentary he said that tax collectors and sinners to associate with them would be like becoming contaminated. Mm. 
That's like yeah. it was disgusting. Okay, that's, vile, that's gross, really good. Because look at what it says. It says that tax collectors and sinners, and I'm reading from the ESV. What what version do you have? New King James. Okay, so you're in New King James. So our, our verbiage might be a little yeah. different, but our the, the story is going to hold the same. Tax collectors and sinners drawing near to hear Christ, to hear Jesus preaching, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, yeah. saying, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." So that's Luke's introduction. That's what he <laughs> gives us that little piece. Yeah. Has to be established. Yes. Has to be established because you've got the worst of the worst, the tax collectors and the sinners. They know that they can draw near to Christ because Christ has already associated himself with the worst of the worst. Right. He has welcomed them. He's spending time with them. And the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, are not happy. They think this is, I mean, nobody's happy, but especially these people, they're outspoken and they're grumbling against God or against Christ. And in verse 3... Luke says this, he, that is Jesus, told them yeah. this parable. Yeah. So he's addressing the Pharisees and the tax collectors, yep. right? So that's who, that's the, fir- the first couple of verses setting up the scene. This, this discourse that Jesus is about to do in a series of three parables is directed um, directly at the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the day. These are the men who who had established the legal system of the Jewish law. They were the law keepers. They were the straight and narrow. Um, These are the men that Jesus is talking to. This is not to the crowds. This is not to the common people. This is not even to the tax collectors. This is to the Pharisees, right? That has to be. He zoned in. Exactly. Locked in on uh, the Pharisees. And you'll see that as we end this chapter that... It's clear it was directed that's, right. towards that's who, them. That's who he's going at. Yeah. Okay, yeah. now we jump into verses 3 to 7. Walk us through this first parable. Yeah, um, so you've got yeah you've got three subsequent parables, three consecutive parables. We don't know if um, uh, th- there was a little argument that I came across or a little debate on whether or not that this was one consecutive sermon by Jesus or Luke is compiling... Mm. Um, three separate situations or three separate parables and putting them together to get the same point across. Mm-hmm. I think most commentators lean towards that, yeah, this is this is one sermon, this is one scene, and I think that adds more weight to you uh, yeah. know the, the chapter and the context itself. I haven't done the legwork, but yeah. that's where I would land. Yeah. I think for, unless we have a reason not to, right. we can work forward yeah. with that assumption. Yeah, right? basically it was an argument from silence mm-hmm. saying that Luke compiled these things. Anyways, You've got three consecutive parables, okay? You've got the first parable is the parable of the lost sheep. We're dealing with 100 sheep. Next parable, you've got the parable of the lost coin. We're dealing with 10 coins. And then you've got the parable of the prodigal son, which we're actually dealing with two sons. So we're working from the lesser to the greater. Mm. Jesus is using the first two parables to build up to that that's, final point that's right. here. That's okay? right. Yeah, so the first parable that we get is the parable of the lost sheep. You've got a shepherd... Um, shepherding sheep, common in the ancient world, common there now. Um, it would be um, probably around nighttime for the shepherd in the story where he's counting all the sheep as they make their way back, right? So either him or his assistant are counting the sheep. Well, all the sheep are in and he only counts 99. Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously there's one that is lost. Mm. And we have to focus in on that language. There is a sheep that is lost right yep 
You're going to see that in the coin. You're going to see that in the third parable as well. Okay, so Jesus proposes a rhetorical question here. Well, I mean, what man, what shepherd, if he loses one of his sheep, would not go after it? Yeah. I mean, it would be absurd. Right. Well, that that's a shepherd's job, right? Like a, this lost sheep, that's a big deal, right? Like that sheep, it, it's amazing that God references us and connects us with sheep. But it's so true. Sheep are defenseless. Uh, they can't defend themselves against predators. They can't take care of themselves. Without a shepherd, sheep are essentially destined to die. Like they would walk off a cliff. Yep. I even read, and you've probably read more on this, but I've even read that sheep would lay down to rest and that sometimes they might accidentally roll over on their back. And they're, if they were uh, too big or fluffy or fat, they couldn't get up Yeah, and they would die. Well, depending on the type of sheep, they could weigh upwards of 300 pounds. 300 pounds. I get it. Right? <laughs> yeah, you get that when you're front squatting that with no, well. big, no big deal. Um, yeah, I mean, so sheep, they're dumb. Uh, they can't mm-hmm. be left alone. They mm-hmm. constantly have to be tended to. And that's what we see this shepherd doing. Right, so, because a sheep's not coming back on his own. The shepherd is going Yeah. Go, go ahead. You know, you're right. No, no, yeah. no. That's Shepherd good. is yeah. going to go after the sheep. And Jesus, like you mentioned, he asked that rhetorical, that rhetorical question, what man of them does not leave the 99 to go after the one that was lost until he finds it? He recognizes, if I don't go get it, that, that sheep's dead. Yeah. I, I've Gone. lost it. Dead. I can't. It's not coming back. I have to go after that sheep. And yeah. any good shepherd would do that. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what we're building up to. So this good shepherd... He tracks down this sheep. He picks up the sheep, probably hoists it on his shoulders, legs tied. I mean, it could be 300 pounds. He's carrying this bad boy back at night, mm-hmm. right? Oh, we don't have lampposts, street lights, and all those things. I mean, this is a this is a dangerous hunt that he's having to go on here. So he gets back. He gets back to the town. What does he do? Verse five. Um, it, it tells us that he throws the sheep on his shoulders. Verse six. He gets home and he calls together his friends, the neighbors, the entire town. We're going to throw a party. The shepherd is throwing a party. The shepherd is hes throwing a celebration. What's the celebration over? We're told here, verse 6, I have found the sheep that was lost. Right? Yeah, I found the sheep that was lost. Now, um, when we mentioned earlier the hijacking of Luke 15, right? Most people want to say, look, the celebration was over the sheep. The celebration was over that individual sheep. Well, the celebration and the excitement and the joy is over what the shepherd did. Mm. The, Gosh, the, that's the, good. The shepherd, he went out at night. The shepherd went out and carried the 300-pound sheep back. He risked everything for the sheep. The celebration yeah. is it's over the shepherd here. Right. right. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Yeah. Not my sheep that was lost has been found. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a difference between yep, those two absolutely. statements. I have found, therefore we shall worship. Therefore therefore we shall celebrate, right? Like that's right. that's the, 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 the premise there is to say the shepherd is being celebrated. Which, by the way, this is another comment that, yeah. that's worth mentioning. Yep. The Pharisees, when this, when Jesus is telling this parable, the Pharisees and the scribes are are imagining this, and this would have been offensive to them because shepherds were also not 
highly esteemed. Yeah. Right? Like, first of all, shepherds, um, seven days a week, that's how often sheep need care. Like, they don't get, <laughs> they don't take a day off. So because of that, shepherds, they, they were probably smelly. They were probably, they had the worst, the worst mm. hours, right? Like, they, they, they don't have a, an easy it nine tough, to five. Man. It was a brutal, and it was a brutal schedule. And they, they couldn't observe all the laws, because they had to care for their sheep. Right. So on the Sabbath, guess what? They can't take the day off. They're going to violate those laws, the fence around the law that the Pharisees had set up. So the Pharisees are offensive at the even mention of a shepherd. Yeah, that, man, that, that's such a good point. They they are so put out mm. by this parable. The, I'm, <laughs> yeah, and, and to celebrate a shepherd? Yeah. Like, that's not, like, already Jesus is kind of, he's twisting them. Oh, it is. Man, oh, he, they hate he's, it. he's stoking the fire. Yeah. At, at, at this point, man, we're only on parable one, that right. the Pharisees are raging. Yeah. Now, they may not be expressing it, but inside, they are furious. Mm-hmm. They, they cannot believe that a celebration is going on in the midst of a, of a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Okay, so we get to verse 7. We need to mention verse 7 before right. we move on to the next parable. Verse 7 and verse 10 are the two theme verses for uh, Luke chapter 15. And you can see it clearly. I say to you likewise, this is Jesus concluding the first parable, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. I mean, okay, right? So the, the parable isn't about the shepherd. It's not about the sheep. What we're getting at out of the parable is there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. The Pharisees don't like this, but Jesus calls them on it here in verse 7 when he talks about the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Okay, Mm -hmm. So Jesus is drawing them in, man. The Pharisees, they don't need repentance because they're already good. Yeah, in their mind, they're perfect. They have established this... Uh, this this law-abiding system whereby they have achieved the highest levels of, of righteousness and obedience and perfection, right? Like, right. like not, not necessarily like this sinlessness, but a, hey, we have established the way in which God wants us to honor his law. Right. And, and the shepherds, they don't do that, right? Like the I'm definitely not a sheep. I'm right. definitely yes, not a sheep. Exactly. I'm a righteous person. That's their mindset. That's yeah. the whole point, by the way, of the 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 uh, Sermon on the Mount, right? Yeah, like, yeah. like that's the whole guiding principle there. Jesus is constantly attacking this self righteousness of 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 the Pharisees, and he's done that and setting them up with where he's going later. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, is that you? Have we adequately covered Parable One? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because okay. we're we're setting up the third one here. Right. So right. we want to get to Parable Three, yeah. but we want to adequately deal with the two prior yeah, to that. Absolutely. Okay. So that's we've looked at the introduction. We've looked at. The first parable, the uh, the parable of this lost sheep, Jesus has made his point. The Pharisees are probably unhappy, and then Jesus keeps oh, yeah. going. Yeah, here we go. So where we go next? Yeah, so we, we come across the second parable in Luke 15, parable of the lost coin. Parable is much shorter because the point has been established. Jesus, again, he, he's, he's just adding on to it. So we've got a woman who has 10 coins. She's lost one of her coins. This would have been the equivalent of losing a day's wage. This is a big deal. You know, if you and I see a penny on the ground, I'm not going to risk back injury to pick up that penny. <laughs> Which that's exactly what you'd be doing. Yeah, you know. Oh man. So, but but that's not what's going on here. We we've got um the, this woman who who has 10 coins. She's lost one. Again, that's a day's wage, right? 
Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when I when I looked at this and some of my study, um, I've I've seen and come across the the fact that in a barter society, there would be less currency exchange, yep. right? Like right. there'd be more bartering. Yep. So this was kind of a emergency fund, yeah. Because you didn't use your money to buy groceries yep. the same way that we do today. You didn't have as much money set aside because it was typically bartered. Yeah, things would be bartered for. So if you don't have this coin, you you can't. You you can't get supplies, right? Right. right. You, you could die, right? Like this is a this is a big deal. This is not just okay. Well, next week at work, I'll just replace it. Right. Like that's that's not how this works, right? So this is a big deal. Um. So the, so this woman, she probably ties together some palm branches. She begins to sweep the house again. Ancient homes would have probably been just one room. Um, no windows, one door, maybe a couple slats in the wall, so there wouldn't have been a lot of light. So it tells us that she lights a lamp. Uh, she begins sweeping and working her way through the entire house. Of course, it would have been dusty, right? So this would have been a long, difficult process to, to find this silver coin. Well, of course, uh, verse 9, uh, she, she finds it, right? She finds the coin, and what does she do? Well, just like Jesus yeah. explained in the previous parable, she calls together her neighbors, calls together her friends, and here we go again, party number two, another celebration over finding that which was lost. Right. Right. And, and again, who are they celebrating? Yeah, the celebrate. We're not, you know, flipping the coin around <laughs> and you know, celebrate. You know, <laughs> some ridiculous type of party over right. a, a drachma. I right. guess, is that how you say yeah, that word? Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I'm getting the mental picture of everybody. <laughs> Everybody's got their, yeah. bring your own drachma and we're going to all celebrate. Well, the celebration, of course, is for the woman, right? Like she's yeah. the one who has found yeah. this. Again, it bears repeating, the Pharisees would have been just, I mean, disgusted at the thought of a, a shepherd. And then Jesus takes it a step further and, and makes the main character a woman. Yeah, like, uh, dude, I'm, I was literally. You know, about, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, well, keep going, I, I want to have going. something to contribute here. No. Like, like that is it. That is the even lower than a shepherd. You now have a woman oh, who's being celebrated. They are like disgusted. That, that, you can't. They are Im- disgusted. You can't imagine the vitriol that they would have had. Like they're just foaming and they're clenching their fists and they're going, "How in the world have you made the hero of two consecutive stories and the people who are being celebrated and the people who, by the way, are depicting God?" Right, like God is represented by the shepherd who looks for a lost sheep, who goes out and seeks him out. God is being depicted by mm. a woman who is seeking out a lost coin. And Jesus is saying, What person, what reasonable person would say that they're wrong to do that? Right. Right. Like he asked this rhetorical question to make these yep. two people the heroes of their story. They're not happy. Because these people, the shepherd and now a woman, the lowest of the lows in Jewish societies, have now been elevated to the point of representing God and being celebrated in these periods. They're raging. The Pharisees yeah. are raging furious. This is um, not okay in no. their mind. By the way, just a side note, um, I remember seeing on Twitter <laughs> just the other day, actually, uh, that there, there was someone trying to make the point that God is also female because of Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. In this parable, there's a woman, right? Uh, that's seeking after the coin, which this means that God is definitely a woman. I'm not kidding. That that was on Twitter. That, my friends, is called eisegesis. Yes, that, that's that, that's not that is not 
the point of that parable and let me calmly <laughs> rebuke it. That's not a, that's not right. Yeah, um, we reject that. Thank, that, that you, thank a, you for that, bringing that to our attention so that we know that's what can be done to yes. manipulate some of these passages. That's not the point. That's not even the point. Right. That doesn't even close to the point. Right. We're, not, we're not even dealing with... Well, guess what? God's not a shepherd, right? right? Like right. Th- those are images that are sure. used to depict his role in the sal- yeah. salvific activity of his lost humanity, right? Yeah. Like that's, okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let, let's regroup here if we can. <laughs> yeah, we, um, we have been distracted from the text. Okay, so verse 10, to conclude the second parable, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Okay, so again, that theme verse is, uh, repeated here, we're getting at the joy of God, mm-hmm. the um, glory and honor of God over finding that which was lost. Right, right. Okay, so third parable, set us up. Yeah, so you, we you can we, set us up here. So we've we've walked through these other two parables, and you get to verse eleven, and this is really where Jesus wants to take us now. Let me, let me say this. We often, and I'm going to speak broadly here to say we often, we often hear this passage told from the perspective of this prodigal son. Like it's all about this prodigal son. And I think for two reasons. One is that's catchy. It's sexy. Like that is like everybody loves that story of the loving father and the gracious and the goodness. And we've all can identify in some aspect of that. But secondly, I think it's because most of the text is written to tell his story. Right. But in the background, you've got these, uh, What? Who, how are the Pharisees responding and reacting to this? They're not happy. They're not happy. And they're in the background this whole time. And that's where we need to go when we look at the older brother. Right. 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 So yeah. it's, it, it's easy, I think, to add to what you were saying. Mm-hmm. It's easy to focus on the prodigal because it's the easiest part of the story to place yourself into. That's a good point. Okay, which we're going to get to the parable, obviously. That is part of it, but but it isn't the whole, mm-hmm. right? It isn't the main component, which uh, which I think we're starting to establish here. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's good. So verse 11, Jesus continues. He said, okay, there's a man who had two sons. So you mentioned this, uh, you've, we've gone from the more general to the more specific. We've gone from the from a, a degree of less value to a degree yeah. of greater yep. value, right? There's a man who had two sons, and the younger one, the younger brother of these two sons, he says to his, his dad, he goes to him and says, Dad, give me the share of the property that's coming to it. Give me my inheritance right now. Right. That, yeah, he's wishing his... He's wishing his father yeah. was dead. Dad, I wish you were dead, and I can't wait till you die, but maybe instead of me killing you and taking the money right now, can you just give me my inheritance? Yeah. That, yeah. It, it, tell me, did that happen often in the ancient world? No, yeah. no. You're going to get knocked upside <laughs> exactly. the head. That's not only, <laughs> knocked upside the head. Not only did social protocol say, hey, that's not acceptable, that's not normal, like this is an honor society, we don't do those kinds of things, but a father would never oblige to that type of request, right? Like there's, like that would have been unthinkable. That would have been incredibly insulting. It would have been disownership. Like there's just no way that that type of activity would be allowed to go on. Oh, and, yeah, the, the, the town the, the town would have just jumped into right. the situation as well. Exactly. There, that That is not... We'll put a little beat down on these kids here. <laughs> right, that's not flying. Yeah. That's not happening. But look at what the story says. He divided the property between them. 
Yeah. So, so, so the father goes ahead and does yeah. it. Yeah, he, he divides up the portion um, of his estate. Uh, the older son would have received two-thirds right. of the inheritance. The younger son would have received one-third uh, of the inheritance. Because the oldest, the oldest uh, male received double what everybody yep. else received. So if there were six sons, they would divide it seven ways. All the sons would get one-seventh, and the oldest would get two-sevenths. Well, because right. there's only two sons, you divide it three ways so that the older gets double what everybody else gets. Yeah. He's the highest honor. Sure, sure. So it's given to... But the, the younger son gets his inheritance, and it says, not many days later in the SV. I don't know how the yep, New King James translates right, yep. it. Not many days later. So it didn't take him long. He got what he wanted, and he took off, and he went off into a far country. Um, non-Jewish area, right? He goes out into Gentile world so he can go and not even be... Yeah, what was he thinking? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Why would he act that way, right? Yeah. He's out out of his mind, obviously. Yeah, and and this is a pursuit of sin, right? Like he has... He has dishonored his father. He wants money. He's selfish. He has now gone outside of the Jewish uh, area. He's gone outside of where God's law has been established because he doesn't even want to be confronted with the law that he's going to go out and just live and squander his property in reckless living. Yeah, it's it's, it's all planned, right? Yeah. He, this didn't just come to him. This is devised. He planned it out. He's got these sinful desires that are now manifesting themselves. Uh, you, you know, Dad, I hope you're dead. I wish you were dead. Give me your money. Now I'm out. I'm going to a foreign country. Yeah. <laughs> Jews didn't do this, right? So he, he goes off, verse 13, wasting away his possessions with prodigal living. That means without restraint. I mean, this is the, the, the center of sinners, Yeah. right? Yeah. The center of sinners. So... Notice verse 14. It doesn't take long. But when he had spent it all. I mean, this guy ran through an entire inheritance in no time. Right. We know from later on in uh, the the parable, verse 30, that he spent it all even on prostitution. Yeah. Right? Sexually immoral. Like, this guy is despicable, gross. This is a pursuit of sin. Right, like this is not just hey, he went out to try to make his own way, and he happens to stumble and fall. Like you mentioned, premeditated. He's going after a sinful way of life. He's he is pursuing this sin. And what's what's amazing about this story, especially, and we'll, and we'll kind of come back to circle through this. But the only thing more shocking than this young man asking for his inheritance was that the father granted it to him. Yeah, like that's that's unthinkable. But this is this is God allowing. In this story, God allowing sinners to to pursue their sin gives them over to their sin. That's what you want. Take it, right. go, and that's what this guy does. He this this son goes and pursues this sin, and he runs out quickly. Yeah, he's right? out. Like he he he's rock bottom. Yeah. So he uh, the prodigal thinks he's in control. Uh oh. Verse fourteen. <laughs> a severe famine hits the land. Okay. What, what are a the severe odds of famine. That? So bless his little heart. He, he he doesn't have any money. He has no possessions. He's in a foreign country, and a famine hits. Now, I know it's difficult, at least in our time. I mean, we can grasp it to some degree, but when we think about a famine, I mean, it just doesn't really register, right? right? I mean... Yeah, they don't, he didn't have a deep freeze in his garage sure. and, you know, yeah. a bunch of... Uh, a, a stowaway of all kinds of water, and, like, he didn't have a reservoir. He didn't, right. 
he didn't have access to that. Nobody did. Yes. Yeah. So ancient world, you would eat whatever food you had. You would eat whatever cattle you had. You would eat whatever animals you had. Um, and when those were gone, you would begin to eat your clothes, right? <laughs> what else? You, yeah. you would eat your clothes. You would, you would then eat your sandals. And just like in the Old Testament, it, it describes uh, people boiling up their children. Mm. You, you would begin to eat other humans, mm. right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's in the worst possible situation. Yeah. Like, what? He, he's, he has absolutely nothing. At yeah. this point, yeah, not he can't even get anything from the land, right? He's, there's nothing to his name. He has nothing to depend on, and so verse 15, Woo-hoo. he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. So again, he's in a foreign land, yep. who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And if I remember this correctly, in looking at this this in the original language, this is not a hired hand in the same way that said, "Hey, right. I will give you your wages yep. for the day." What, tell me what it is no, then. That, keep, no, I, I'm trying to remember. It's uh, like a, basically, the, prodig- the prodigal's going to him begging. Yeah. And yeah. The, he's just trying to get rid of him. He's just trying yes. to sat- He doesn't really want to hire him on. He doesn't he, he give just him wants any him to payment. Shut up. He just says, hey, go out there into the field with the pigs. Yeah. Basically, he yeah. just dumps him out there and says, yeah. like, you can go do this, but I, I don't owe you anything for this activity. You're not, you're not a hired hand. You are, you're even below. A slave. It's even yeah. lower than that. Yeah. Now, now you're hanging out with pigs. Right. Jewish culture. Now it's like the, the, the Pharisees listening to this story would be in an uproar. Yeah. Like, if they hadn't already passed out yeah. from shock, right, of the whole thing, because they, this was they this can't was believe the story. Uncleanliness to the max. To the max. Right. And and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and, and in fact, you can't even eat. The things that the pigs were given, yeah, right, yeah, like, that's great. Like you can't, they they were inedible according to this Greek word. Yeah, what is verse sixteen? What does your translation say? He was ESV eating? says he was longing to be fed with the pods that okay, the pigs the pods, ate. Same. What is that? What your says? Yeah, New King James. Yeah, carob pods. C a r o b carob pods. Pigs can digest them. Humans can't. Right. So he is actually worse than. Yeah. A, yeah, he's, he's, he, he he's wishes, worse. He's worse than a pig. Right. right he now. wishes he could eat it, and he can't even eat that. And, and no one gave him anything. So this is rock bottom. Like the, it can't get worse. Right? Can't get worse. What happens no. next? <laughs> verse seventeen. Yeah, verse seventeen. He, he's hit rock bottom. He's hit rock bottom, and it says that he came to his senses. He came to his senses. Everything about his situation was poor, terrible, the worst. It, it was he's at the bottom of the dumpster. Uh, the only thing that he had good going for him was his father. Yeah, and and, and 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 he knew it. He came to his senses. It was a recognition of the only good thing that he had in his life. Because in, in in the moment in that particular place, nothing. Hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. So it says he came to himself. And I love verse 17, and I want to read this because you're going to see something different later. Yeah. Here's what the prodigal says. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? So he recognizes the goodness of his father. He recognizes the generosity of his father. And he talks about the hired servants that his father has. They have more than enough bread. And the prodigal here has nothing. Yeah. 
Yeah, he goes on to say, yep. this is his kind of, uh, his declaration to himself, yep. right? And this is good because this will come back. He yep. says, I will arise, I'm going to go to my father, and this is what I'll say. Yep. He rehearses his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your yep. hired servants. Yep. That's what he, he said. He rehearses his speech. That's what I'll say. Because this is what it would be like going back to your Jewish father, mm. right? And in the culture, man, you would go back, and it wouldn't. Get, it wasn't going to be a warm welcome. I was going to say that that journey back to his home would have been one of the loneliest and most miserable. Anticipating right that the shame you would endure, the the ridicule you would get from the I, community. I think they would have beat him. Yeah, if I, I, if would, I did my research correctly on this, when the prodigal returns. It would have been a, a beating, mm-hmm. like literal. Mm-hmm. Like they would have beat him because he was just so dishonoring. Right, right. Um, so he's prepping. He's prepping yeah, himself. That's what I'm saying. Man. Like that would have Ooh. been. So, so he's he's rehearsed. He's ready. He's gonna make his way back, and then verse twenty hits. Right. This is everybody's favorite verse. We think that this is the climax of the story. Right. It's it's not, as we're going to argue. We've been hopefully making that yeah. point clear. But this is good. It's just it, yeah. it is. It is. Verse twenty. He arose and he came to his father. We talked about that journey, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced him, and kissed him. Right. Um, that that picture right there shows like you said they were going to beat him they were going to he was going to be ridiculed he was going to be um just would have left him in the marketplace so everybody could see him here's this wretched yeah public humiliation just a hatred that is poured out upon him to give him what he deserved by the way this was not like a a shame festival just because (laughs) this was a real like he deserved this but his father went and interceded this is this is uh picturing christ here running to him, seeking him out, uh, holding him, embracing him, wrapping him up, and in, in uh, preventing that wrath to be poured out upon him, right? Like, yeah. like all that stuff is Man. coming, and he runs and embraces him right. while he was a long way off, before right. he made it back into the village square, right? right? Yeah, he, he's, he's looking for him. Right, yes. he saw him yes. a great way off. He's looking. The father sees him. He had compassion. Jesus has compassion. We, we, we see that all throughout the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he ran and fell on his neck, kissed him. Greek language there for kissed means over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Right? It was a, it was it was continual. It was passionate. There was emotion involved. He, he's excited that his lost son is back. Right. Right. Um, what's interesting here is that. We're told in the text that he ran, uh, he, he ran after him. Um, you know the, the the clothing that was worn, the long That's garb, right? right? Mm-hmm. Those garments would have been difficult to run in. So the father, he would have had to actually pull up his garments, expose some of his skin, which would have been shameful for yes, him, right? A- absolutely. Yeah. So you see, it would have been shameful for him to the father to show any of his skin. So. What what he's doing here? It's a it's a wonderful picture of the shame shifting. Yeah, it's it's being taken off of the deserved one and placed onto the 
undeserving one. Right. Right. The, right. the father here, he, he's taking the he's taking the shame off of the That's son. Right. That's right. He he's he is bearing the shame that the son deserves to yep. bear, and he's putting it on himself out of his love and compassion for that lost son. That like sounds it, oh so familiar. That is a that is a beautiful picture of the gospel, yeah. and we don't want to downplay this. Yeah. Like this is a an incredible component that yep. points to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby He took on the shame and sin of sinners on that yep. cross, and He bore the wrath that was deserving uh, that we deserved. Right. So that is. Um, that double imputation that we talked yep. about, right? The the Beautiful. glory and the mystery of that gospel, all wrapped up and depicted by that one moment when he hikes up those the 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 robes yep. and he he runs out. He says, "I don't care that I endure mm. the shame of showing my legs. I'm I'm more concerned about this lost son, yep. right?" Like that's beautiful, yeah. but yeah. the story doesn't end there. Yeah. So so watch this. We we mentioned this earlier. We said it was going to come back around. Remember that speech, you know, that the prodigal right. had rehearsed. That's right. Here we go. Here here's now he, he's bringing forth this speech, and let, let's see yeah. if it's exactly he's he's rehearsed. Yeah. It's it's showtime. Yeah. And you know he rehearsed that thing. Oh, had to. Know, right. Yeah, because he's he's going to be pleading for yep. his life. So here's what he says. Uh, verse, uh, twenty-one, Father, that's. That's good. <laughs> I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Right? That's so far okay. it's word for word. That's from... that's what he that's, that's that's what he said, right? Verse 18. Um but but notice verse 22, but the father said to his servants like the his his speech just stops. Right. What, what do you leave out, T? Well, he was missing that last line where he says, "Treat me as one of your hired servants." That's what the ESV says, right? Uh, yeah. He says, yeah. "He's like that's his that's his plea. Like, please at least consider me as the lowest one in your household." That's the rehearsal, right? He's ready to make that request of his father. Real time doesn't happen. He doesn't say it. Why? Doesn't need to. He's been he's been embraced and brought back in as a son immediately. Uh, yeah, instant. Yeah, that's right. Immediately. And there's no there's no question in his mind. He doesn't ask his father, and then his father say, "No, no, no. You are now my son." The 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 the, the indication here is that it was clear to him. He has no reason to actually. He he expresses his remorse. He repents, but he has no shame himself. Right. There's no more guilt upon him. He doesn't feel that guilt because his father has indicated to him, "You are my son." It's f- it's full restitution. It's, it, right. He, he's not. Right. He's not working off anything, which is going to be critical for where the rest of this yeah, parable goes. Absolutely. Right. But that that is a a massive component to this that's easy to miss as you're reading through it. But it's so clear once you see it. That's that's a rehearsal that makes it two thirds of the way through and stops. Right. 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 And it's it's verbatim. In the in the original text, yeah. yeah um, so, um, to continue here, the father brings out the best robe. He brings out a ring, and he brings him sandals. All right, so he's restoring his dignity. He's restoring his sonship. This is full 
embracement. Yeah. He, he, the, the son is in. Yeah. Right? He, he's elevating him yeah. even, yeah. right? Like you would you could argue this was even higher status than prior to his outlandish request at the beginning of the parable. Yeah. He's been given this ring. He's been given the robe. They have this celebration that's to come. He's been not only fully restored, but even elevated to above where he had been. Right. Right. Even higher status yeah. within the home. Third celebration. Third party, here it comes. Right. Verse 23, the father says, Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Okay, so the the father is throwing this celebration, right? This joyous celebration. Um, Why? Verse 24, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is a block party. Yeah. If I remember correctly, and you've researched this more than me, but this calf could have fed a couple hundred people, yeah. right? So this would it's have been a big time party. This would have right. It would have been okay, village is shutting down for the night. We are celebrating with this man whose lost son has been found. Right? Like we are celebrating as a huge community, as a huge village, which is so upside down because they should be uh, beating him, like that's what they would have expected, but the father has flipped the script, and now he brings them in to celebrate. So it's a huge party. Yeah, yeah. Verse twenty-five, we're told there's dancing and music. I mean, th- this is <laughs> this isn't uh, this isn't some nonchalant, right? This isn't some small JV league party. I mean, right. This is the big leagues, right? Right. right. Um, again, what's the celebration over? What's the rejoicing over? The rejoicing is over the father, mm-hmm. right? The rejoicing is over the father. Sure, some of it is about the son, obviously. That, that That is there. But the whole context of Luke 15 is advocating that the celebration is, is over the father. Remember, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God right. over one sinner right. who repents. Well, it's the joy of God that we see here. Oh, by the way, <laughs> when we think of God... The first things that come to my mind when I think about God isn't the joy of God. Most of the time, it's one of his attributes in, in terms of omniscience, omnipresence, wrath, yeah. holiness, whatever, whatever. But we're seeing the joy of God. Mm, that's so good. Put on display here. That's so good. And I mean, you think about why is why is the Father being celebrated? Why would... Well, because the Father is the one who made this celebration happen. Like this was supposed to be a shame, a shameful reunion it was supposed to there was supposed to be uh, a period a long period of gradual restitution of the son paying back and never fully restoring that relationship between the two right. but instead the father is the one who has made this celebration worth having he right. is the one who is act it's not hey look my son came back let's celebrate him it's this son of mine was lost and has now been found he was dead and he's now alive but we're going to celebrate because of the activity and the work of the father. It's his decision. It's his, it's his part. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. All, all of, all of that I affirm. That's all there. Right. We, we can't miss that. One thing I want to note before we move into the yeah, older I was gonna side. Say, I'm, I'm, we're, we built up to this yeah, last built, section, yeah. but. But at least with the prodigal here, we, we're able to see what, God does with the worst of the worst. Mm. He's he, he's able to save the worst of the worst. Yeah. You may be listening and you may not be a believer. You're not worse than the prodigal. Right. The prodigal is the worst sinner that Jesus ever invented. 
if God can save him, he can surely save you today. Yeah, right? and runs after him, seeks him out. Like there's an intentionality. It's not a you – no, know, that's such a good word. Yeah. It's such a good word for us to remember to know that, that the prodigal, he represents the worst, the bottom feeders of sinful humanity. Yep. And the father has thrown the biggest party of the whole chapter, right? Like we had yeah. we had the shepherd, we yep. had the, the woman, and now we have the father who's put together this – wild block party celebration to just say it's worth every ounce of everything I have to right. do this because of this sinner, yeah. because of this son. God, right. God, God is that good. Right. God right. is that good. That's a good word. Okay. But, the, but the story, right, yeah. like if, if we ended right there and they began to celebrate, the, the Pharisees wouldn't have been happy at all. But at least it would have made some sense to us kind of in this logical flow, right? Like, okay, this connects with the other two. But now we see the whole point. Yeah. We see everything has built up to this section and what happens. Yeah. Who, who, which other character comes into the story here? Right. And, and how is this part developed? Yeah, verse 25, now the older son enters the story. Now, when, when TJ... Uh, was explaining the importance of understanding that the Pharisees were on the scene, according to uh, 15, 1 and 2. This is why. Okay? So the older son enters uh, the story. We're told here that he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. Now, that's odd. Why Why hasn't he been around? Well, he was out in the field. Yep. Yeah, he was he was probably doing what he was supposed to be doing this yeah. whole time. He was working, right? Like yeah. doing what he was what he, his responsibilities around the house, handling his duties as he always had done. He'd been Mr. like I will do what I'm supposed right. to do, right? right? Yeah. Like like he j- he's the rule follower. He had his younger brother is that heathen who ran off, but he stayed and did what he was supposed to do. Right. Right? Checking the boxes, he's out in the field yeah. doing his work. Yeah, I would add to that this shows us that the older brother is also a wretch sinner and that okay. he's also blind because why isn't he in there helping the father mm. prep and plan and get everything done for the father? Instead, he's clueless. Yeah, that's, that's what would have been his responsibility yeah, as the oldest I'm, son, right? Yeah, so again, he's he's spiritually bankrupt as well, Yeah. right? So verse 26, he calls one of the servants and he asks, what, what, what do these things mean? Right. I mean, why is he so clueless? Right. He shouldn't be clueless. Yeah. He, he should be celebrating, right? Well, <laughs> that's not what happens, right. right? Verse 27, so the servant says, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. So the servant here is now explaining to right. the older uh, what, what's going on. Yeah, um, verse 28. Listen to these words. Here we go. It's the explosion. Yeah, here it is. But he was angry and refused to go in. The, those words are weighty when okay. you talk about the meaning of what they, they indicate as the rest of this unfolds. He refused to go in. The, 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 the older brother, the oldest son, sees a celebration happening and willingly walks away from it. Right. Says, I don't want to be a part of that. As long as my younger brother is the one that, that's in there, as long as he's the the one who has helped prompt this whole thing, we're celebrating his return. I don't want any part of it. 
I'm not going in there. Right. Refuses. Well, that sounds just like the Pharisees in chapter 15, verse 2, where we started. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So what's going on in the parable? So the older brother is the Pharisees. Right. right? Because he's upset that the father has received a sinner and is now eating with him. How can Jesus constantly spend time with tax collectors and sinners? Right. Right? Right. So... Yeah, not only is the older brother angry, the Pharisees listening to the story are angry as well. Yeah. Right? They they are, again, we've said it, they're furious, they're raging. Well, they would have identified with this brother yeah. from the beginning yeah, yeah. because they would have said, well, of course we shouldn't be like the younger brother who's gone off and done all of these uh, ridiculous, rebellious things. Of course, we should stay and honor the father. So they would have, they yeah. would have commended, right? They would have rejected the father's actions. They would have rejected the the younger son's actions. But they would have said, "Now the older son, that's our hero." That's what they would have thought. And then they get to this this scene where Jesus says, "And the older brother refused to go in." And and it goes on to say that the, his father came out and he entreated him. He begged him come in, please hmm. come. He, he reasons with them. He says, come, be a part of this celebration. That's the heart of the Father. That's right. Right? Yeah. That, that's God begging sinners to come to him. Pleading. Pleading, begging. That's 2 Corinthians 5, right? We're ambassadors for Christ as if God were begging or pleading through us to be mm-hmm. reconciled to God. Yes, like this right? is the gospel message being poured out upon all sinners to say, come, repent, believe, be a part of this heavenly celebration. But he answered... Yeah, read, th- this is so legalistic, man. Yeah. Read this. No, v- you, you, verse 29. You yeah. But he answered his father, his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So mm. he's, he's, he's building himself up, right? Puffing himself up. Look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've done in my obedience and how I've served you. And you've never given me a celebration. Verse 30, but when this son of yours, uh, a disassociation with his own brother, right? Like he's, he's elevated himself to the status and has rejected his younger brother. He says, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, as you mentioned, you killed the fattened calf for him. Yeah. Like so legalistic. So he has puffed himself up to say, I deserve, you owed me mm-hmm. a a young, at least a young goat. You right. owed me a celebration because of how good I've been. Yeah. And my stinking younger brother, <laughs> this, this rebel, asks for your inheritance, takes it, and then comes and you throw him the biggest party we've ever seen. Right. Well, that goes right back to our theme verse, chapter fifteen, verse seven. Jesus says, "I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance." The older brother here, in his book, he had right. done everything right. Right. In his book, he had done everything that the Father had commanded. And in his book, he was in right standing with God. 
He did not recognize his condition, unlike the prodigal who did recognize right. that he was lost. Right. right? He, he thought he did not need repentance. Right. He thought that he was a part of the party already. He thought that he was in the flock. He was part of the found already. Yeah. And clearly he's not. Yeah. Yeah. So verse 30, like you mentioned, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. The older brother is furious. He, he, he just can't take this. Like, how, Dad, how could you do this, mm-hmm. right? Um, anything else you wanted to add no, to no, that? Keep, keep rolling. Keep yeah, rolling. so verse 31, so the father says to the older son, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. I mean, that's such a compassionate yeah. statement. Yeah. Such a generous and good father, mm. right? So the father goes on, verse 32, it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found, right? Yeah. I mean, God, the, the older brother, he missed it. Yeah. You know, what's, what's, I, I, we mentioned this and we didn't talk about when he says these many years I've served you and I've done all this stuff and you haven't given me what's what's rightfully mine. What's ironic is he's asking or demanding the same thing that the younger brother did, did. Yep. right? Like he wants, all he wants is what's rightfully his. Right. I just want what you owe me. I just want my inheritance. Now the younger son asked for it directly. Right. He's not asking for right. it, but he's saying that's what I deserve. That's what I'm owed. And he's, Essentially, what Jesus has done here is he's shown the hearts are both the same and that they're wicked. But the younger son manifested that wickedness, yeah, right? Good. Whereas the younger son, or sorry, the older son has hidden that wickedness through outward obedience, yep. which is what is going on here <laughs> with the Pharisees. They are, are just as wicked as these tax collectors. The tax collectors are the prodigal son who have openly and outwardly manifested this wickedness, but the Pharisees are the older brother who are are pretending to obey and they're do but they're doing it all for the wrong reasons. Right. They're not doing it out of love for their father. They're doing it because they now owe because I've done these things, you owe me my inheritance. I want it. I, that's right. what I deserve. Yep. And it's it's a manifestation issue, but but both of them have the same wicked heart. Right. But only yep. one of them, right, turns in repentance. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that brings us to the end of Luke 15. Uh, the the story the story wraps up for the younger son, but it, it doesn't really yeah. seem like there is a conclusion for the older son. It, it I mean, it's almost as if we're missing a couple verses. Yeah, I was gonna um, I was gonna ask you. Jesus a, is a really good storyteller. <laughs> Why did he? Why did he not like finish his? Yeah, story? he lost his train of thought. Yeah. like I did with that D. A. Carson. <laughs> yeah, like he's telling the story, yeah. and he he just kind of he ends this with a little smile, and it's like he's kind of did he just right? And then and then Luke just takes it somewhere else to deal with the disciples. It's kind of a, I don't know. It kind of feels like it is missing an ending. What what do we do with that? What is what is really on the table here? Yeah. Why has he done this? Well, of course, the story itself, the text itself, doesn't go any further. But if you keep reading the gospel narrative, you keep reading the gospel story, that that is the conclusion to the parable. Okay, before you, before you say that, it's almost as if the father comes out, 
Like we see, okay, we see in verse 28, the uh, 27, the servant tells the older brother mm-hmm. what's happened. Verse 28, he's angry and refuses to go in. His father comes and entreats him. He begs him. He pleads with him. He says, come, please come in. He says, no, he rejects it. And in verse 31, we see the father begging one more time. Yeah. Son, all that I have, uh, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It is fitting. This celebration should go on because look at what has happened. And it's almost like the father has the door is open. Okay, are you coming or not? Like this right. is my last plea, right? And so the question is kind of posed to the Pharisees: Will you repent and come? Right. Will you repent and be, or will you maintain your your staunch, angry presence outside the story? And so that's it's kind of left open as a direct confrontation to the Pharisees. Yeah. But you mentioned already how the story ends. Yeah, well, the, the story ends with the Pharisees not repenting. Mm-hmm. The, the story ends with the Pharisees not confessing their hypocrisy, uh, with the Pharisees not coming to faith in Christ. Instead, the older brother, the Pharisees, they beat the father to death. Mm. They, they, they kill Jesus Christ in the gospel narrative, mm. right? Um so we see the story played out. <laughs> right. Uh, they missed the gospel presentation. They missed the miracles of Christ confirming that he really was the Son of God. He was the Savior of the world. Mm. And they forfeited all of that to keep up their religiosity, to keep up their hypocrisy. And they now are facing eternal torment in hell because of their unbelief in right. the, the goodness of God right. shown in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, so that... That story left open as a parable, but the story is told through the rest of the Gospels to say this yeah. is this was left open to them. This was not um, this the the story wasn't wasn't already damning them. It was saying, look, if you will repent and believe, you can come in. This is this is uh, the, this invitation and command is for you to to respond in the same way. And they reject it. They stay in their religiosity, as you um, eloquently put it, and to say this is um, so that that seals yeah. their fate, right? Like they are more interested in their own inheritance of of religious do goodism, yeah. and they kill the father uh, because they're so concerned about that inheritance, about right. that prestige, about that. Um, elevated status, and so they reject completely yeah. that that invitation. Yeah, man, they they miss they miss the goodness of God. Um, the gospel invitation is out there to sinners, right? Right. It's it was there. Right. It was there. If you repent and believe, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one right. sinner that repents, and that joy. And that celebration is over the Father yeah. paving a way for center, sinners, rather, for sinners to be saved, yeah. to be reconciled. That's so good. Now, Luke 15 is... <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Let, let's wrap up. Yeah, I, I want us to give an initiative real quick. Okay. But, but just a as a, a note of comment, this is a often... I don't want to use, I don't know if I want to use the word misunderstood, but it's an often incomplete understanding, right, of this parable to say... There's more to the story than just this issue of the prodigal son. Like that is a, a central component for sure, but it's not. It wasn't Jesus' intentional point. 
Um, I believe Tim Keller has a book on this particular parable, and okay. he, he makes the argument. Um, I read it like eight or ten years ago, um, so I don't really remember. But he makes the argument that parables are intentional about having one central purpose, right. one central theme, one central idea. And the idea is not about the prodigal, but it's about the other. And uh, I know MacArthur has a book um, on this subject, and I'm sure there's plenty of others that have yeah. delved into this. But, um, but yeah, like this this chapter, hopefully, if you've stuck it out and listened for this last hour as we've walked through the text, hopefully it's brought to life the connection between these parables and the emphasis here on Jesus' real teaching by putting these parables the way that he, yeah. the way that he has. Yeah, was that so, your initiative also or no? N- uh, it can be. <laughs> uh, what what's yeah. what would you what would I'll your start, initiative be? Um, trying to make me stop talking. No, that, no, so. no, no, no. That it, there was just so much packed in there. That was good. Uh, man, I, I think my initiative uh, for this episode. Uh, would just be an elevation of God, in 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 terms of uh, that He is He's willing to save the wretch. That's good, right? He, he's He's willing to save the wretch, and the celebration that we find over the lost being found is for the glory of God, mm. orchestrating such a wonderful divine rescue mission, you know, for for, for sinners. The gospel is of God, as Paul says in Romans 1. It's the gospel of God, right? Mm-hmm. So. No, that's good. Uh, and that's, that's probably where I was going to go. But since uh, You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> since, since you just said that. Man, I guess, I guess my takeaway from, from walking through this is just to recognize that there is no inherent righteousness in any of us. Uh, I think we're all prone to... Um, see ourselves in the story as one of two characters. And for the person who grows up outside the church, lives a life of, or even inside the church and lives a life of rebellion and recklessness and, and intentional sin, it's easy for those people to identify their salvation story with that of the prodigal to say, Hey, I'm, I got it. I understood this, this man's, uh, you know, complete, lack of, you know, like when he got to the rock bottom, I can recognize, I can identify with that because I know what it's like to sin that way. But for others who grow up in the church or maybe grow up with a, um, within the parameters of structured living and we do things the right way, that's the way I grew up. I grew up inside the lines, but I was still wicked. I was still in need of a sinner. My, my wickedness and sin did not manifest itself the same way. But just like those Pharisees, I was not righteous. I was I was outside. Right. And so there's it's just a reminder to me that sinfulness comes in many different forms. Some of them are easy to recognize, yep. and some of them are very deceitful and difficult to see. But even in this outward appearance, that older brother was was in trouble. Right. He was wicked, and um, and I think we can all point to that and say. That guy, both of them were outside the kingdom. Yeah. And only one turned and right. repented. So yep. just that reminder for Repent all of us. and believe. Repent and believe that gospel. Man, what a what a good 
Man, that was that was fun. Uh, if you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Make sure you're like us, liking us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore Informants. And again, you can find access to all of our episodes and links to all our social media platforms on our website at www.themajestiesmen.com slash Reformed Informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. Thank you.